0: i was uh I was gonna hop up onto the stage and then i I thought that probably wasn't a good idea, so um I was like walking outside before bed last night and went outside to close something up and I kicked I kicked um, this step and uh I think I broke it, honey <laughs> like it's not good, so like that's why I'm limping around right now. Um, I asked a guy a week ago because he knew that I was preaching again um, I, I I just said what what do you want to hear? It's a guy that usually goes here. Is there anything that's been on your mind or your heart or or something that that you want to hear preached? And and he said yeah, and he immediately went into what I should preach on. And he ain't even here. He's not even here today. So apparently, like none of what I have to say is for that dude. It's all for you guys. So um I'm I'm anxious and excited anytime we can open the word of God together, even if it's a subject that we feel familiar with. Um For some of you who have been following us, me and and Chad have been going through Galatians together, uh, verse by verse, uh, through the book, and then I have recently pulled out, um, just to speak to some nuts and bolts stuff, just some Christianity 101 stuff, basically, while he finishes that book up, and then me and him are going to go into another book, so that's what you're going to get some more of today, is just the nuts and bolts, Um, and you're going to get a lot of information today, and so... um, I'm going to go to quite. I'm going to mention a lot of verses, um, but don't don't expect to like have to get there and follow me completely. Okay, you'll have to trust me till you get home and then check my references. Um, but what I would suggest, if if you're a note taker, jot down those verses, uh, those scriptures when I when I go to them. Um, otherwise just go and listen to the sermon. It'll be posted again tonight so you can go back over it and grab everything you want. But I mean, this is going to kind of be like a crash course, um, sermon. There's just going to be a lot of stuff that we're, that we're going to be jumping through. And, um, what it's going to be on is a subject called Veritology. So, and some of you are going like, I didn't sign up for seminary. So like, I don't even care. I know that's a big fancy word, Veritology. Does anybody happen to know what Veritology means? Boom. Look at look at Peggy. I shouldn't even allow her to answer because she does this every time. It is the study of truth. Veritology is the study of truth. So you got theology, that's the study of God. You got anthropology is the study of you got Veritology, that's the study of truth. So we're going to talk today um, about truth. And so a, a a scripture that you can turn to if you got your Bibles right now is Romans chapter twelve. Go to Romans twelve. And Romans 12, verse 2, says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is, this is a verse that's worthy of being memorized, by the way. Um, this is a verse that's worthy of being posted, um with really big writing on your refrigerator. Um, this is one of those verses in the Bible um, that 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 gives us a, a, a foundation to build off of. Um, now the truth is this, and this is why this verse matters so much. We all come in here with baggage. And by baggage I'm not talking about good stuff. I'm talking about gnarly stuff. We all have, however many years we've lived on this earth, we have accumulated truth claims and a worldview that don't necessarily match up with truth. You guys with me? So we come in here with baggage. We walk in here like this with our stuff, right? And some of us even have some carry-ons. Some of us have more than others. Right? What we find soon after meeting Jesus and seeing him in his word and hearing him speak through his word is that there is no subject in life, really, in which God has not spoken. Maybe not in specifics, not maybe not case by case, which sometimes I wish he did. There's scenarios as a pastor that I find myself in the counseling room in front of, and it's like, wow, Lord, I wish you would have written a chapter on this. You know, because it ain't in there. What do I do with this? Right. He doesn't necessarily speak in the Bible to every single scenario that's out there. But in principle, he has spoken. He has given us truth principles, at least in every area of life, whether it's anthropology or ethics or science or history or sociology or law or government or labor or marriage or parenting or community or origins or death. He has spoken. And what we find is that we all come in here with one set of truth claims that we've picked up over the span of our lives, depending they're dependent on how we were raised, where we were raised, things that happened to us, things that we witnessed teachers that we had influences or friends that we had people that we hung out with shows that we watched, music that we listened to all of these things have built into us a worldview and a set of truth claims or beliefs, which is a lens for how we look at the world. And the Bible then comes along and blows it all up. It just throws a grenade into the middle of it. It just rocks us and it presents a challenge to our truth claims. And I end up finding more times than not when reading the Bible that there are discrepancies like major ones sometimes between what I think is true or what I thought was true and what it declares to be true. They can be two totally different things. And the challenge and also the ultimate blessing for you and I as Christians is is to get to wipe the hard drive clean. Just just hit delete. And then download the once-for-all truth claims that God has now presented us with and made us alive to. This is really what a good portion of the Christian life consists of, isn't it? Unlearning and relearning, which is to be transformed, according to Paul. Let me read Romans 12.2 again. Do not be conformed to this world, which is time-space culture, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God truth. What is good truth and acceptable truth and perfect truth. As Christians, we should be in pursuit of the truth more than anybody else. We should be a people wanting to know what is true with no fear about what it looks like when we find it. I don't know about you, but I've lived most of my life in lies. And I didn't care. I didn't care if I was right about something or wrong about something as long as it gave me what I wanted. But that's not what I want anymore. I want to know what's true. And we live in a world and a society that makes it increasingly more difficult than ever to know what that is. It's really hard to know what to believe. And we should pursue truth, you and I as Christians, as children of God... Not so that we can gain lots of good information to show people how smart we are or not to show people how spiritual we are or not to become ultra heady and philosophical and not even so that we can win debates. The reason it's imperative for the Christian to be awakened and in pursuit of a biblical worldview is so that we can be transformed. Transformed in our thinking, transformed in our hearts, transformed in our actions, There was a show, you remember, in the 90s, we used to binge watch this, me and my wife, The X-Files, and that was like their tagline on The X-Files was like, the truth is out there, you know. We just have to go to the right place to get it. Much of what I'm going to present to you today I borrowed from a study called The Truth Project. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that. Um, it's brought, uh, basically was brought about got, by a guy named Dell Tackett, Out of Colorado Springs, Colorado, he's a seminary professor, and he put together this curriculum um, on worldview and the Bible, and it's really good. I like highly recommend it if you guys ever want to go look that up and find that, but I I stole just a lot of, I borrowed a lot of what I'm using today from that because he does it so well. And so let's let's start with this. You're like, oh, I thought you started a while. No, we're starting right now. Okay. Uh, Why did Jesus come into the world? We're a small group. You can you can you can yell it out if you want. Why did Jesus come into the world? Anybody want to take a shot at that? What's that? To reconcile man to God. Good answer. Absolutely. Anyone else want to add anything to that? Why did Jesus come into the world? What's that? To save us. Okay. To save us. As an example. Okay to show the love of God. I mean, the truth is we can we can probably go on and on and on all day with this because it's it's got layers, right? There are depths to what Jesus accomplished and what he did when he came. But I want to focus on one of the ones that he said, one of the reasons why he said he came. And that is found in John chapter 18, if you go there. And you guys can pretty much stay there the rest of our time. John 18, starting in verse 33. Now, Jesus has been arrested for blasphemy. He has already been basically tried by the Jews and the religious leaders. So now he's being sent to the Roman authorities to have his crucifixion approved because the Romans, of course, had that territory at that time. So they were the ultimate authority. Okay. So he is now standing before this guy named Pilate right here in in John chapter 18 and Pilate comes in, he enters his headquarters, verse 33, and he calls Jesus to him and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this about me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew, or or, or am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Boy, the church needs to look at those verses right now. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so, who, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To testify to the truth. Jesus came into this world to testify to the truth. And when we hear the word testify or when you're bearing witness of something, what place does that usually make us think of? I've been there a few times in my life. Court. Right? We think judicial. We think courtroom. And what is it that goes on in a courtroom? A trial. Trials go on there. In other words, testifying takes place during a trial. So according to what Jesus says in John 18, what we just read, it is safe for you and I to assume that Jesus came to the earth to testify to truth because truth is on trial. You with me? And how is truth on trial? What's the opposite of truth? Lies, right? The truth is on trial before lies. And this is consistent with what we see in the biblical narrative, isn't it? All the way from the beginning. This started in the garden. This is where we see the origins of the world being held under lies. We have the first man, we have the first woman created by God, perfect, no sin, entered the world yet, right? And they're given this whole garden, to tend to, to walk through, to enjoy, to benefit from. And they're walking with God in the garden. They have fellowship with God, unhindered, out in the open. And he says, but there is one tree out of all these that you're just not going to eat of. Don't eat of it. You'll die if you do. Right? And isn't it just like us? I don't know about you as a human being. God could give me a hundred things. But if there's one thing that he tells me I can't have, I can't take my eyes off it. I'm like, why? Why? You just ask my parents. I was this way every day growing up, right? And so we come to this part of the narrative where Adam and Eve find themselves before this tree, and the serpent comes, which is Satan. It is the devil. And he comes, and he starts a, a conversation. He engages them in a conversation, right? And how did that conversation go? Did God say this? It was a it was a question. He questioned the truth claim of God, and created the possibility of a different truth claim, which is a lie. When Satan got them to fall, he didn't like put them in a headlock, and said, "I'm Satan. You're going to eat this fruit." And he didn't like he didn't like um like like shift the fruit into another fruit to like make it look like it wasn't what it was. Right? He didn't change the tree like. He didn't sneak around that way. He did it by questioning the truth claim of God. And by questioning that truth claim and bringing in his own truth claim, which was a lie, everything changed, man fell, and death entered the world, sin and death. And here we are, right? As a result of Adam and Eve buying the truth claims of Satan, the entire world now sits under a set of false claims. Truth claims. False truth claims. Lies. And so it has been since the beginning, right up to the present day. Listen to this. Listen to Romans 1. Listen to what Paul says. Speaking of mankind, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness because by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. They press it down. They hide it he goes on to say in romans 1 claiming to be wise they became fools and god gave them up because they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen john 3:19 through 21 jesus says this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, it wasn't just the man Jesus who was on trial when he came. It wasn't just the man Jesus that the populace was bent on crushing. It was truth that they were bent on snuffing out. They wanted to kill Truth. As we read in these texts, we start to get the sense that the cosmic battle that you and I live in, we know that it's not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, authorities in high places. We start to realize that this cosmic battle that we find ourselves in the middle of ultimately has to do with truth versus lies. I think, are are we getting the impression that truth is a central character in the Bible story? It's a central character. In the book of Matthew alone, Jesus begins a statement with the words, I tell you the truth, no less than fourteen times. In the Gospel of John alone, Jesus leads off with the double emphatic truly, truly, I say to you, twenty five times. In John eight, he says, The truth will set you free. This statement Reveals to us three things. The truth will set you free. Number one, that we are by nature not free. Number two, that we are under a lie because number three, the truth is the key to the cell door. We are in a state of bondage. We are in a state of captivity by our sin due to lies. And the only way for us to escape is to hear the truth and come to the light and have our deeds exposed. Not hide in the dark, not protect the lies that we have, which is what one of the things that you and I are best at, isn't it? We're good at justifying. We're good at validating. We're good at protecting the things we don't want to let go of, even if they're killing us. If our Bible is true in all that it says here, how then shall we view the world around us? How shall we view our enemies How should we view those who oppose us most in this world? How should we view those who seem to be most evil and most wicked on this earth? Not as less than us, but as held captive under a lie. They are held captive under a lie. Jesus says to Pilate, for this reason I was born and for this reason I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now listen to what Jesus follows up with next. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What does that statement imply? Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It implies that there are sides. There are sides. It implies that there are those who are of the truth and those who are not. Jesus doesn't say those who listen to my voice are of the truth. He says, those who are of the truth, listen to my voice. That's pretty heavy. And it's pretty interesting. Jesus says something very similar to this to the Jews in John chapter 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. In other words, we are not Jesus's sheep because we believed. We believe because we're already his sheep. And I know that this is heavy stuff, but this is true. What these statements by Jesus tell us is that there are two sides to the world. The world is bifurcated. It is fixed. There are those who are of the truth, his sheep, and there are those who are not. The catch is that you and I have no idea who is who. No idea. That's why God has not given us a sickle to clear the field. That's why we're not allowed to go into his field and pull weeds or things that we think are weeds. Right? That's his job alone to do at the end because he alone knows who his sheep are and who aren't. He alone knows who are of the truth and who are not. Our job is to scatter. We take seed and we throw it everywhere across the field, imploring all men, everything in that field, to bow the knee to Christ. That's our job. We are sowers, not reapers. We preach the gospel to all men. Maybe the scariest narrative that exists in the Bible concerning the reality of sides, those who are of the truth and those who are not, is found in John 8. Verses 34 through 47, where Jesus is having this lengthy, spirited conversation with the Pharisees. And the question of the father comes up. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, Abraham's our father. And Jesus replies back to them, no, you have another father. And the Pharisees say, no, we have one father and that's God. And Jesus says, no, God is not your father. And then Jesus makes this incredibly frightening statement. He says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, Jesus says, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God, listen to this, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Sides. Brothers and sisters, this is hard stuff. But this is true stuff. This is what the Bible reveals to us. This all reveals to us the reality of what it is that we see around us every single day. This reveals to us why some people come to God and others don't. Why some people hear the same gospel preached and fall on their face and beg God for mercy. And others just go on by. They don't even blink. This is the war that is raging. The war is not ultimately against bad people and good people. We're all bad. Jesus is the only good person that's ever walked on this planet. The war is about truth and lies. It's about truth and lies. It is about the truth claims of God versus the truth claims of the world, which has been held captive under Satan and sin. And isn't it interesting how the truth claims of the world are often the absolute antithesis to the truth claims of God. They don't even try to not be a lot of times. God says one thing, the world says the exact opposite. We literally call evil good and good evil and say, yep, that's truth." For instance, unity versus division, right? I mean, just take that in the context of marriage alone. God brought together a man and woman and he said, what I've done, don't let it be undone. No man can tear this apart. You guys are in covenant together. What does it take for us now to not be in covenant together? Someone saying, nah, I don't love him the way I used to. I don't feel about him. I don't feel the same way I did when I married him. You know, things are different. And what do, what do your buddies tell you? Yeah, you need, to, you need to go. You need to bail. Right? Unity. God calls us to come together. The world calls us to separate in almost every area. Contentment versus jealousy. Again, this, this works out in every kind of area that we see in our world. Let's just take gender roles, since that's the world we live in, okay? Contentment versus jealousy. God calls us to be content with what we have. Even in what we lack, and the world calls us to jealousy, right? I don't want this. I want that. I don't want to be who God has made me. I want to be like what that person is. And so we go and we start doing things that are only God's business. Contemptment versus jealousy, responsibility versus blame. This one I'm really good at too. Okay. God calls us to be responsible. He says you are responsible, not just even with what you do, but even with what you are. Even who you are, you're responsible for that. Not God, but what do we do? We find reasons and people to pass our responsibility off onto. Well, this happened, or I did this because that person did that. All you have to do, guys, right now is take Fox News, CNN, stick them on the same screen, like split it up the middle, and watch them just volley each other. These guys are pointing at those guys. Everything's their fault. These guys are pointing at those guys. Everything's their fault. That's what we do. Nobody takes responsibility for anything anymore. We all sit around, and we just pass the buck. It's the opposite. It's the exact opposite. And we call it good. We have no problem doing it. How about authority versus rebellion? This is a big one that we're seeing right now. And I don't know about you. I don't like authority. But I'll be the first one to say that I need it like bad. Like if you just turn me loose and and there is no ceiling on my life or my actions, it ain't going to be good. I just, I'm just not... I, I, I don't have a lot of self-control. Authority is there for our blessing. Authority is there so that we can all play in the sandbox together, even though we're different. You know what I'm saying? And people want anarchy? They want to see the police go away? Do you really? (laughs) Obviously, there's stuff that we do want to see never happen again that comes out of the police. But I don't, think, I don't think we want to call off the authorities altogether and tell them to take a hike. I don't think this world would look too good if we did. But that's our answer. No, no one can tell me what to do. Like, don't tread on me, right? Authority's bad. Rebellion's good. How about anthropology? What does the Bible? Who does the Bible say man is? A fallen agent. Sinful. Basically bad. What does the world say? It's good. It's basically good. Opposite. How about soteriology? There's another big word, Peggy. Okay. It's basically the the study of salvation. All right. So when it comes to things of salvation, the Bible says there is one way to God. The world says, boom, every way leads up the mountain. Do whatever you want. Be a good person which actually doesn't work according to the last one, and and like, we're all going to be good in the end. Wrong answer. It's the opposite. You can take just about any subject in life and find Satan promoting a truth claim that challenges what God has said about it. Almost any. For those of us who are, by the grace of God, of the truth, the alarm hopefully will start to sound when that voice or that thought or that feeling opposes that which God has clearly stated. And this is why we need to be in our Bibles. This is why we need to continually delete the hard drive we came in with and download the new stuff. It's so that the alarm will go off. So that we well know the difference, so that we well discern the difference, right? We need to be grounded, we need to be trained, we need to be... Transformed in truth. Unless we establish a baseline for truth, which is here, it's all relative. And you guys know that one too. Not only do we live in a post-Christian culture, not only do we live in a post-modern culture, we live in a post-truth culture. Truth just doesn't matter anymore. But it has to. For the sake of our souls, it needs to. Because there is a truth. And there's a million lies. And you and I need to be that voice in this world. We need to establish a baseline for truth. So that truth doesn't become whatever the heck we want it to be. Jesus said, for this reason I was born. For this reason I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And then Pilate says this. What is truth? What is truth? And what he doesn't know is that truth is standing in front of him. What he doesn't know is that the answer to that question is standing on trial in front of him. Because truth is a person, it is a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is truth. Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you believe this? It's no wonder why they murdered Jesus because he was the full measure and expression of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Nobody. He's it. He's claiming exclusivity. Jesus is saying, not always lead up the mountain. So what are, what are we going to say is true? Always lead up? Or one way does? That's why we call this church the door. There's not many doors to God. There's one, and it's a person. That's the truth. R.C. Sproul said truth is defined by that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God, not by humanity, because God's perception of reality is never distorted. It's a perfect perception of reality. He goes on to say, He knows the truth. He is the truth. He's the fountainhead of all truth because all truth comes from him. And that's why we have to start there with his perfect being of who God is so that we can have some kind of reference point to determine what's true and what isn't I like that. In other words, the ultimate source of truth is Jesus himself. And it is that truth alone that sets man free. He does not set us free from heartaches and hard times. He doesn't set us free from suffering and sickness and pain, not from loss or poverty or even corrupt politicians. I wish he would. But he sets us free from the lie that we don't need him. Because we do. We're in trouble without him. No matter what we tell ourselves, no matter what the world tells us, we're in trouble without him. He is humanity's only hope. Did you know that repentance is a gift? I always refer to it as the R word because like, it, it, it's that thing that makes you kind of cringe when you hear it. Like, oh, repentance, like this negative thing. Do you realize that because we get to repent, we get to live? Do you realize that because we get to bring our, our sin and our guilt out of the shadows into the light, we get forgiveness from God? I did a stretch of time when I was a younger kid, which is where I met the Lord. A lot of you have heard this story. They stuck me in a cell for six months with a Bible and a pack of cards. You know what I mean? And so I played the heck out of those cards. Um, I didn't want anything to do with the Bible, and I finally... One day picked up that Bible because, you know, 23 hours a day out of 24 in that room alone. Like, you do a lot of talking. Like, even if you don't believe in God. And so I opened that Bible and I remember thinking to myself, where in the world am I going to start? Like, where am I going to read? Because I've never understood a thing out of this book. And I thought Revelation would be a good idea. Yeah, that's worth laughing at. Like, it's ridiculous. But I remember it being, like, cool, like dragons and all kinds of like weird stuff going on. And I was like, I'm going to read that one. And I start reading the book of revelation and I start seeing this cosmic battle, like come down to the wire that we're talking about between truth and lie. And I see Jesus coming with his army of people behind him and he's winning. It's not even a contest. Like he's just slaying people. He's just handling business against the wicked on the world. And I knew as I read that book, I didn't know much, but I knew that I was on the wrong side. I knew that I was not on the side of Christ, that I was not one of the multitude that was following behind him, but I was one of the ones that he was coming for. And something started to happen inside of me as I kept reading this book and moving through it, even though I had no idea what the heck I was reading. And I got to the end, And I read these words, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. And when I read this, I heard Jesus inviting me to repent. And be forgiven. And I did. It changed everything. Jesus gave me an invitation to come out of the dark into the light so that my works may be exposed and I might be saved. And He's inviting you to the same thing. That invitation's for you without price. Religion says, I screwed up. My dad's going to kill me. Sonship says, I screwed up. I need to call my dad. You hear the difference? See, one of the lies of Satan is that we look at the stuff we've done, the stuff we've said, the places we've been, the people that we are. We know we're disgusting, even though we're our biggest fans. But his whole deal is to say God could never love you, because you've already done these things. God can never love you because you've said these things. There's no way that you can come out in the open with these things because God can't have anything to do with that stuff. That's the lie. And what Jesus is saying is, I know who you are. Come and give all of it to me. Come and give the worst of it to me. Bring it out of the closet. Bring it out of the darkness. Bring it out into the light. Let me see it. Let me have it. He's calling us to repentance. Do you see how good repentance is? It's everything. It's everything. And the truth is that Christ, there is no sin that you have performed that Christ did not pay for when he hung. That's the truth. That's what the Bible tells us. The world and Satan will say otherwise. The Christ tells us that he paid for all of it. It's done. It's dealt with. It's dealt with. The truth sets us free from being opposed to God. It takes us from being opposed and against Him to being for Him and with Him on His side. The truth that Jesus is the only door to the Father Is the truth. There are not many. And I I used to think to myself, why does there only have to be one way? Why is Jesus the only way? And you know what I think to myself now? Praise God, there is a way. Praise God, there's a way. Praise God that someone like me is able to access the holiness of God forever. It doesn't make any sense but I believe it's true because truth tells us it's true. I thank God there is a way. And I would invite anyone today, I I know there's likely you guys have heard this before, but you know what? The Word of God is um, it's powerful, it's active, it's, all, it's always working. Um, and I think some of you have been buying some lies for a while. I don't know who it is. I don't know what kind of lies they are. But the truth is that God is bigger than all of them. And there's no better day than today. There's no better time than right now to get rid of those lies once and for all and be clean. And it's free. Come out of the shadows and into the light and have your deeds exposed and hand them off. Hand them off to the guy who's bore them all and live. God, thank you for truth. Help us, Lord, the the darker this world gets, the more it moves into um, very strong delusional lies. um, Quicken our minds uh, even more, make them even sharper, that we could uh, detect um, every bit of it. uh, That we would continue to be transformed into a thinking um, that is right, that we would have your mind, God. That we would see things the way that you see things that we would call what you call evil and what you call good, the same things. I pray for anyone, God, that, um, that, just, that just needs to pull the rocks out of their backpack today, that needs to unload, that needs to take off the burden of trying to accomplish something that they can never accomplish. I pray, God, that you would um, loosen that, that backpack today, that you would um, uh, convict them with the truth that's been spoken And that they would know that it's true. And we ask it all to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.